Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America. With your host, Rich Valdez. I want to get into what's going on in Texas and this fiery exchange that we keep hearing about between Lou Dobbs. Now, Lou Dobbs has been a broadcaster probably almost my entire life. I think I've seen him on TV definitely all of my adult life. I was born just at the end of the 70s in 1978, and I remember seeing Lou Dobbs all over the place. He's always been a terrific broadcaster, and it's an honor to have him on the show today, Fox uh, Fox Business Channel's Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Rich, and uh, and, and how nice of you to remind me how old I am. <laughs> As I was saying, and I said, I'm probably going to get dinged for that one. <laughs> no, it's it, you know I'm very proud of the fact I've uh, I've survived many a war over the course of the last half century, and I'm delighted that. Uh, uh, to have you as a listener and a viewer over the over that time, absolutely, and, and it's uh, the honor's mine as well. So, I want to get into uh, you know there's a bunch of reports, Yahoo News, The Hill, Washington Post, and again nobody that I truly really trust the way I would trust a Lou Dobbs report, but they're reporting lots of things about an exchange between you and Stephen Miller, and I want to get the scoop from you. Tell us what's going on. Well, I, I you know I said. Uh Basically, to to Stephen, who is a friend and a man I respect greatly, uh, I said, uh, why would you not uh, bring Ted Cruz on the team? He evaded the answer, which was uncharacteristic of him, and he knows my rules on the broadcast are very simple. If I ask a question, we expect an answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a little, to be candid with you, I was a little off-put by it. And I'm sure Steve was uh, a little uh, annoyed that I, I pressed, but the, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't about to uh, to let it go, and I was stunned that he wouldn't just simply, in a, in a you know, great team spirit amongst you know Republicans uh, in this moment of a great uh, contention, not say, you know, I'd, I'd love to have somebody as smart as Ted Cruz on the team, and but it's not my choice. Um, maybe we'll leave it up to the president or whomever. But instead of that, he just evaded the question. And I know he was trying to um, avoid it. Uh, and we've talked, by the way, uh, and, and texted uh, since since the interview. Uh, but if that's what you're referring to, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And again, I, I probably should have done a better job setting the table. I talked about it in the segment before. But we, of course, are talking about bringing on Senator Ted Cruz to argue. He had offered to argue the Pennsylvania case and has equally uh, said he'd be available to argue the case in the Supreme Court should they take up the case and want to hear it with respect to Texas. And of course, he's a Texan and he is uh, by all accounts, at least again in my you know close to 20 years of observing politics, he's been a 
expert on the constitutionality of all things. So I think, you know, why not? Right. You know, I mean, I if I was going into battle in the Supreme Court, I think I would bring Senator Ted Cruz. Well, I'd be you know, I'd be honored to have him uh, offer his uh, services to, to me if I were in that situation. I think that, uh, and I'm sure the president is honored. Um, it's just uh, one of those moments of cognitive, uh, of cognitive and uh, perhaps uh, philosophical dissonance between two good friends on the air. But, um, you know, as you, I think, know, uh, friend or foe, um, I really do expect for the audience, uh, I do expect the audience to have uh, an answer. Uh, we don't have to like it, but uh, but an answer. Yeah, we have to be courageous and ask the tough questions sometimes, and I think that's important. And speaking of courage, I think that there's a bunch of Republicans, and of course Democrats, but mainly Republicans that I think you know might have been uh, for the president before, but now they're kind of like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe he should concede, maybe because I don't know, and I think to myself. What happened to you? You know, who took your man card? What's going on with all the cowardly conservatives and Republicans that are out there? Why is everybody quaking in their boots, Lou Dobbs? Um, because that's who they are. We can't ask them to defy their nature. Uh, one of the great problems facing the Republican Party are the rhinos, uh, and by that, and that list is large. And everyone in your audience know who know who they are. There's no sense going down that unfortunately long list. But for the party to put up with this nonsense, is it's time passed. I don't know if the Republican Party will survive what we're going through right now, because the Republican Party has not stood up. They have not stood with this president, um, and they have not protected him and the interests of their uh, constituents. It is a sad thing. I, mean, I truly believe this, I, and, I'm, and I'm not certain how concerned I am about it. Uh, I believe the Republican Party is in an existential crisis um, from which they may not uh, emerge um, animated and uh, purposeful mm -hmm. because they have been so, so cowardly. Uh, and, and I there's just no other word for it, uh, representing contentedly uh, corporate uh, uh, Silicon Valley social media interests uh, and Wall Street, of course aligned often with the Chinese Communist Party with greater uh, with greater uh, emotion and passion than with the president and his America First policies. We've witnessed it for five years, both in his campaign and then as president, and we are witnessing it as we saw too many conservatives, too many Republicans, rhinos particularly, mm -hmm. stand by and watch the left almost uh, with abandon attack this president every day in almost every way, whether it was an FBI investigation for 11 months over a Hillary Clinton-inspired uh, pretext of Russian collusion, uh, whether it was the, spe the special counsel, which amounted to absolutely nothing. Uh, then the uh, frivolous and uh, obscene uh, impeachment inquiry, and now a fraudulent presidential election. Uh, we are witnessing one of the greatest presidents, in my judgment, he and Abraham Lincoln are the two greatest presidents in terms of their accomplishments in their first term in office. Yeah. And to see him treated this way almost without response whatsoever 
from the leadership of the Republican Party, from the leaders of business, the, the social leaders, to see the churches stand up for this man in a vigorous way. I'm not talking about simply endorse a bill or whatever mm-hmm. it might be or send some money in for his campaign, but they have been uh, dissolute. They have been effete uh, and, and and pitiful to me. Um, and I And the American people see it. They're living it, and they have to be absolutely revulsed uh, by what we're witnessing. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I'm seeing black churches for Trump, uh, Spanish, I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, the the amount of minorities that I've seen, you know, coalescing uh, in, I'm going to call it the Trump movement, but I really believe it's, it's a Make America Great Again and an America First movement towards constitutionality and liberty and all of these great things that made America wonderful and make America wonderful. And I see people saying, you know what, I'm able to see that now because Trump cut through the noise, because Trump was big enough, figuratively, to to put the media in their place. Now, speak. I'm speaking to the media, right? I think you are part of the media conglomerate, but you're that guy that says, I'm going to do me. I'm not going to do them. I live in the wild, wild west of the media. Talk radio, right? <laughs> We're a conservative right. bastion. Uh, but being on Fox Business, I think you're really part of the the media at large, what's it like for you when you're giving your commentary, which is typically conservative and America first and all of that, uh, what type of heat are you getting, Lou? Well, I have the good fortune of having been me for a very long time. You were talking about that half century. (laughs) Uh, They hired uh, this fellow Dobbs, uh, who had a a very public record of where he stood on uh, free and fair trade, uh, where he stood on illegal immigration, uh, border security, uh, uh, the middle class, uh, the importance of assuring always that the middle class is amongst the first of all priorities, including national security, because that's where the American dream resides, and it is where we must never let it be extinguished. Amen. Um, so I had a, and I'm anti-corporate when when corporate means uh, overwhelming the uh, the American working man and woman and their families. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I won't put up with it. I never have, and I will speak out every time. But that's the guy they hired. Right. So they have no, com- they they have know no what reason they're to complain about what I say or do. Right. Gotcha. Well, we got a couple of minutes left, and I got two questions that I want to run by you. A, sure. when I was part of the Christie administration back then, I heard rumors of a Lou Dobbs run for Senate in New Jersey, and I got excited, and I was like, ah, I see it. it didn't materialize. So that's one question. And the other one, you can parlay one into the other if you'd like. The other one is, how do you see things at 3 o'clock today unfolding? Does the Supreme Court put on their black robe and, and do the right thing for America, or do they uh, quake in their boots? Lou Dobbs. Well, as a forecaster, I'm better at markets and economy than, uh, frankly, the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. I do know that it is not a good sign uh, that they denied a temporary injunction uh, in the Mike Kelly, Sean Parnell uh, case uh, uh, charging Mm -hmm. the unconstitutionality uh, of the mail-in balloting in Pennsylvania. It is not a good sign that John Roberts, the Chief Justice, sided uh, with the liberals on the court, although it turns out there are more liberals than people credit, uh, and would not act before the election uh, to clarify and to uh, preserve the Constitution. So at 3 o'clock, I'm going to say, I'm going to say what I mean. I'm praying uh, 
that they have the courage and the principle to stand up for the country because just simply rich it just it is just not going to be a republic uh, if this happens because mm-hmm. we i don't believe we can recover from the consequences of that kind of uh, pitiful uh, cowardly um, deferral uh, to a a party of hate the radical dems the mm-hmm. deep state and an establishment uh, that insists on no um, no dissent, uh, and uh, by the way, just simply rolls over uh, you know, the, the American people. But that's where we are. We're on the precipice. I really believe, Rich, today, yeah, uh, and in the days ahead. If they do not act between now and January, I would say the fifth, but the, the date is the sixth, uh, which they have to vote on the electors. Um, then we are in this this republic is truly in an existential crisis from which uh, I don't see a pathway to survival. Oh boy! So will you run for senate to fix it? <laughs> uh, I would uh, I would do anything in my power to fix it, but I think my uh, my power uh, <laughs> has is constrained by my appetite for compromise. Uh, my appetite for chicken dinners. Um, <laughs> I don't think I would make a very good politician. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, not about you, just me personally. I don't think uh, I've you know I've tried my hand at it, and I'm like, ah, I'd rather talk about politics than than be yeah. in the mix of it. You're right. Chicken dinners are overrated. Every, every American needs to know uh, what their nature is, who they are, and what they should uh, uh, what they should aspire to. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. <laughs> to, to join this group right now, I would I would uh, defer for the honor of the thing. Well, Lou Dobbs, thank you so much. Any projects you want to uh, highlight before we go? Uh, my only project is, you know, uh, everybody, please pray for this great republic of ours. Amen. Well said. You're a patriot, Lou Dobbs. Ladies and gentlemen, you, sir. Lou you Dobbs, too. Fox Business Channel. Thank you for being with us, Lou. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the opportunity. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. Here's our phone number, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. And yesterday I mentioned something about turtles on Long Island, and I didn't get a chance to really uh, develop that uh, thought with you. Fascinating story that was sent to me by somebody that I have a great deal of respect for and I I love it when people send me good articles because let me tell you you get so many things sent to you and it's hard to filter through them so when somebody has a good eye for something it's like yeah score good story and where else are you going to hear about turtles that are rolling up and uh, looking for vets I'm going to get into that in a little bit but other cool stories that we're going to talk about is how one Long Island woman may be the first woman to walk on the moon and we're going to get to that in a little bit but There's also street vendors. And I like street vendors because I'm that guy, right? Some people do Starbucks. I go to the guy in that little stainless steel cart that's on the corner here in Manhattan. 
pretty much wherever I am. When we were broadcasting from 17 floors above Madison Square Garden, I would go to the guy on 31st and 7th. Now that we're here on the east side in Midtown in Manhattan, New York City, I go to a different guy. So my guy over there was David. The guy over here, his name is Mohammed. Both of them from Afghanistan, by the way. Great guys. I also had a guy, a halal cart, chicken over rice. Anyway, point is, I love some street meat. I love the cart. I love to support small business because I was once a small business owner. And in effect, I guess being a podcaster, you are in effect a small business owner because you've got to find sponsors and you've got to create this product and maintain customers and maintain their satisfaction. And when there's so much competition like in the podcast world, you have to have uh, some business sense and be savvy in what you're doing. But the point of the street vendor story was I was looking at two different publications and they had stories on street vendors. And the one I was reading here in Bloomberg Street vendors in New York City are fighting to survive as empty streets are eating into businesses and the pandemic relief is slipping through the cracks. So Morgan Stanley's teaming up with Robin Hood, the charity, and the Street Vendor Project to distribute, check this out, $2.37 million to 2,000 street vendors, many of whom don't qualify for the government aid that was distributed. New York is home to thousands of street vendors and their contribution to the local economy, $293 million a year. Cart guys, God bless them. This this article, though, it does get a little grim. As much as 90% of their earnings have plunged because of coronavirus. So now I think, man, put yourself in the shoes of David or my buddy Muhammad or Sotul, or his brother Mahmoud, who did the chicken over rice. Or even me, Rich Valdez, right? When I was a barber, and I had to cut people's hair in order to earn a living. How? how? You tell me. How does one survive? When you can't touch people, you can't have people, you're locked down, you're confined to your house, they make you stay in your house, and the only thing you can do is watch YouTube, watch the news, and get indoctrinated with the crazy stuff that they're giving you in the news. How, how does it happen? I mean, it almost seems sinister. It almost seems like this is exactly what they were planning on doing. Why? Well, because that's what they did. This is how the news operates. Obviously, we've seen the news attack Trump time and time again, over and over and over. And in a little bit, we'll p- play a clip of the media attacking Trump. But I'm thinking of the small business owners, and I try to always have the back of the small business owner because, again, I was one. And, you know, since we have time before the break, I'm going to tell you a little story. And it's an interesting one to most people. For me, it's just, it was life. But when I was 14, 12, yeah, 14, around 14 years old, getting a skin tight fade, kind of high and tight, was like the thing. And I used to go to this barbershop on Bergen Line Avenue, West New York, New Jersey, called Vincent's Barbershop. And when you would call the barbershop, the old guy, his name was Manny, he would answer the phone. He, was a, he had a thick Cuban accent. And he answered the phone, you know, ring, ring. Hello, Bean Sing Baba Cha. <laughs> so my buddies and I, you know, we didn't have the internet, right? So we didn't have memes back then. But we thought it was so funny that we would just call him over and over to hear him say, 
Hello? Beansing! Babacha! And it was so funny. We'd sit there and roll around the floor laughing. This is, yeah, this is what we did in the 90s. And point was, the, um, I got inspired and I was like, you know what? I don't like going to this guy. I don't really like his haircuts anyway. I want those, like, the ones that they give in the city in Astor Place, which again, a few weeks ago, I was watching Good Day New York and Astor Place Barbers, I think, is scheduled to close this week. Second week of December is like they're the end of 50 some odd years of the Astor Place Barbers being a thing, a staple in the West Village or the East Village or right down the middle because it's on Broadway. Either way, <laughs> point is, I, I look at all of this and I think, man, history and tradition are crumbling around us. Now, I realize that so much of that stuff will eventually fall by the wayside. There are many retail establishments that are going out of business because, well, Amazon. People, that's the new way of doing things. Oh, I need food? Let me get Freshly or one of those you know, meal prep services where they deliver it to your door. It's frozen. It's packed. It's not frozen. Whatever it is. And you get it. Some people actually buy food and cook it for themselves. But Amazon has made life very convenient for people. And because of that, so many brick-and-mortar establishments are losing. Now, you walk down over here, 2nd Avenue, here in uh, Midtown, there's a, a fruit vendor on the corner, five bananas for a dollar. That's pretty cool. I doubt you can get that on Amazon. And even if you could, would you want to order bananas on Amazon? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. I don't even like using those food deliveries, Grubhub, Uber Eats, all that. I really don't. It's always like 35 or 40 minutes. It's so much faster if I get in my car. It's even faster if I open my refrigerator. But... That's a whole different story. That means I have to have gone shopping and remembered to buy stuff. Or that I bought stuff and I didn't and remembered to eat it, because if I didn't, then it's rotten. And that happens to me too. Single guy problems. Long story here. And it's long. I got inspired going to this barber shop in the city. And they did these cool designs that they would use the little clippers and, you know, draw images and zigzags and lightning bolts and all of that into the side of your hair. And I was like, I could do that. This guy's getting 20 bucks, 25 bucks back then. It was, you know, 1990-something. I was like, I could do that. And I was like, yo, let me try it on you. So I asked my buddy, hey, can I try that on you? And he was like, all right. And we, I did. And he got a lot of compliments on it. And before you knew it, I'd started building a clientele. People were like, oh, you know, that kid Rich, he can draw designs in the side of your head. You don't have to go to New York and pay 25 or 35 bucks plus the, the cost of uh, transportation. Even though the haircut was 15 bucks, they would charge you for the design. And so I built my barbershop empire, known as Fat Fades, P-H-A-T, Fades Barbershop. And I eventually, when I was 16, I was a senior in high school. My brother said, hey, there's a beauty salon that's going out of business. I'm going to buy the place with all the equipment in it and buy out the existing lease. And I want you to start your business there. And I was like, I don't know if we can do that. I don't think that's allowed, man. I was like, I'm in high school. And he's like, ah, I think you're onto something. So we did. And I transferred from daytime classes in my senior year of high school to nighttime classes in night school with a bunch of old people, many of whom didn't even speak English, but were trying to get their high school diploma. And what I did during the day was I worked, and then I went to cosmetology school because they had no barber school during that era in New Jersey. They forced people to have a cosmetology license. So not only did I have to like learn how to cut guys' hair, but I had to learn how to do nails, pedicures, manicures, hair dye, all that. And I did. It was a 1,200-hour program. 
And I remember after the first 600 hours, I got my permit and I was legit. I could actually like, it's kind of like driving your parents car when you don't have a permit. And then all of a sudden you get one. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pull me over. Go ahead. I got the permit. So that's how it was for me. And it was a really interesting time, but I, I learned all of that at such a young age that I learned from, from teenage life of what it cost to make a living. And I was successful as a young guy. I remember, I think my first year in business as a barbershop guy, 16 going into 17, I think I made $50,000. It was like 1993. And I was like, wow, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm rich. I looked at my friends like, how much do you make? They're like, I don't have a job. I was like, I'm a millionaire. You know, by the time I was 19, I had two cars. I was paying off two car notes. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying it was a, a newfound thing because I grew up so broke. You know, so to make a little bit of money, it was like, wow, that was cool. And what it taught me was something I never could have learned in college, which I eventually did go to college. I went to NYU and I told them to screw off eventually too because they were too liberal for me. But the bottom line was I was a small business owner and I know what it was like to have to sweep up a really busy barbershop with lots of hair on the floor and I know what it was like to sweep up a barbershop that was barely dirty because you were barely cutting any hair. And that's where we are today. Barbers are suffering. The guy selling bananas in the fruit stand is suffering. The coffee cart guy, he's suffering. The food cart guy, he's suffering. All of these street vendors are suffering. So many businesses are suffering. All in the name of, in my opinion, of a politicized virus. And I want to know, is that right? Give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Keep it locked right there. We're going to talk about the woman on the moon. We're going to get to some turtles. We're going to get to some Trump, a little bit of uh, radical Democrats, and a couple other things. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. What's up, New York? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all social media platforms. I hope that you will uh, chime in and contribute with me because uh, I love to hear your thoughts and I may not be able to get back to everybody, but of course I do look at everything and you guys are very smart and you always give me some really interesting things to talk about. And sometimes some of the funny stuff is stuff that you guys have sent me. So I appreciate it when you do send me those nuggets of wisdom and information. Now, I love to talk about what's going on on Long Island because this signal goes all the way out to the East End. However, there's not always a lot of news. So I just heard during the break, Dance Papers is actually one of the places I always look for Long Island news, and you should too. I, I love Dance Papers. They're always, when, when I've gone to the Hamptons and I'm on Main Street or whatever, back when you could do that, <laughs> you know, uh, you would see them and you grab it. And it's got, you know, everything local. So when you're hanging out for a weekend or a few days, it's a great resource. And another one for most communities is the Patch. And the Patch Long Island for East Hampton had a really good story that involved turtles. And these turtles that were ending up in Long Island, they weren't washing up on the shore. They were washing up on the shore somewhere, but they were frozen, right? They were cold stunned. So what happened was they were found in New England and transported to West Hampton. Now, the West Hampton Beach Animal Hospital or Animal Conservancy let me get the name right here. Atlantic Marine Conservation Society. And that's what happened when they did this mercy flight of these 20 cold stunned Kemp's Ridley sea turtles. And they went from New England to West Hampton Beach for life support. I didn't even know this was possible. I thought this was pretty fascinating stuff. According to the uh, Atlantic Marine Conser Conservation Society, 
They admitted the 20 turtles to their facility in West Hampton Beach on Wednesday afternoon. Why? Because they were frozen cold, shocked. So they brought them in, and now they're doing this life-saving technique because this happens in the Northeast when water temperatures drop below 50 degrees Fahrenheit in the fall before the turtles can make it to where they're migrating to, to be in warmer water. Now, this happens to be like the one of the rarest small turtles that's out there. So pretty cool that New York plays such a important role for not only for people and for our economy and for our politics and our media, but of course for endangered species as well. And speaking of endangered species, or at least reptiles, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden has been able to slither around and be a chameleon with respect to the media. Where is Hunter? Was a famous question that many people asked several months ago, even several years ago, honestly. And people brushed it off. Oh, that's been debunked. Oh, that's conspiracy. Oh, none of that's real. And lo and behold, it was the FBI doing what the FBI does, not investigating any crimes during a political campaign. This is the problem that we saw with Clinton. It's a problem we just keep seeing time and again. They do the same exact thing. So now they confirm, yeah, no, we're investigating him. And then he confirms, oh, yeah, no, they're looking into my taxes and blah, 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 because they say that he's laundering money from where? Potentially from China, China. So it seems that when uh, I tweeted out, where is Hunter? Because the New York Post was asking where Hunter was. And even President Trump retweeted my where's Hunter tweet, which was pretty cool. Everybody was wondering where Hunter was. And the media turned a blind eye. I want you to listen to this. No one has indicated of any consequence that anything was done wrong or illegally by me or by my son. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about uh, what are you talking about? China is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it. There's absolutely zero basis to the accusation that I acted any way inappropriately or that my son did. You know there's not one single bit of evidence, not one little tiny bit, to suggest anything done was wrong. Not even a little bit that anything was wrong. I guess the FBI didn't get that memo. So, good old sleepy creepy Uncle Joe, who I like to call Joel Baboso Biden, he's in it now. He's in a situation where, I mean, the videos have been leaked all over the place. When they were leaked, and the videos I'm talking about are of him doing his drugs, engaging in sexual activity. And again, that's not illegal per se. The drugs, perhaps. But the um, him and women, no problem. But part of the issue there was that there was issues related to potential minors being in some of those videos. There was one report, and again, unsubstantiated, so I probably shouldn't repeat it. But it was reported that some of the minors in there may have been relatives. And that's concerning. And this may be, in fact, the reason why the FBI didn't do anything because they already were doing something because they're already looking into these things. So there's an active criminal investigation. And Trump and others are arguing 
Should the media have come clean? Should they have told us that this guy's son is under investigation for taking money from China and maybe cleaning that money, money laundering? And we don't know. Was it, in fact, a bribe for Senator Biden, for Vice President Biden at the time? They're saying it's media malpractice, in, in effect. The media didn't put the truth out so the voters could know. And now voters voted thinking this guy was on the up and up because they only knew the good stuff about him. If you could find any good stuff, the stuff that they were making up. Now, I don't know. I'm of two minds here. I think you're a fool if you trust the media. I don't expect the media to be honest. I do expect the media to defend their leftist friends. So if that's my expectation, that's what I got. To turn around and say, you know, I think you should have done that. You're entitled to and you should. And I think the president's right because what he's trying to do, he's trying to right wrongs. He's trying to say, look, you guys have been corrupt forever. Stop being corrupt. And I guess that's the right message. Unfortunately for me, I look at this and I go, man, it's been like that my entire life. Politics is a filthy business. And I don't expect it to be a clean one. But apparently there's a lot of people that do. And they're right. And I believe that I'm wrong. I think we should have transparency in government. I think we should have an honest government. Right? Or is it just me? I mean, again, my thing is, they're a bunch of crooks. Why would you trust them? The media is full of crap. Why would you trust them? Because I always laugh. People oftentimes, they say things to me and they'll be like, oh, if I were you, I wouldn't trust that publication. And I literally laugh. And I think, wow, what makes you think I trust any publication? I take in the information that they've given me. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. A preacher once told me years ago, he said, look, you're never going to go to a church where you're going to like the sermon, all of it. You got to chew the meat, spit out the bones. Sometimes these guys go off script from the Bible and they just start giving you their thoughts, editorializing, if you will. So that's something I've always said, you know what, you're right. There's things that we have to really take note of. And when we take note of things like that, we realize, you know what? Chew the meat, spit out the bones. And when it comes to that, to chewing the meat and spitting out the bones, you take what's good and you discard what's not good. So in this situation, the media is full of crap. They've been full of crap forever. I'm presuming they're going to be full of crap forever. But Trump is courageous. Trump comes in and says, wrong, you're fake news. He calls them out. Now, he does it for his own self-preservation because he believes he has to survive in order to fight to make things right for America and for each and every one of us. I do believe that. And I always say that we should follow Trump's lead because I think he's setting the right example. He's saying, hey, take on the media. Have some courage. Have the guts to stick up for what's right. And I think perhaps I should take more of my own medicine because I know that I am quick to write off the media as being full of crap. And I leave it there. And I don't say we need to uphold that. Yeah, I try to be honest when I come in here. I try to give you the truth. I try to read between the lines and bring you what somebody else is not bringing you. But I think we all need to do more and we need to do better. I think I should be outraged when I hear that a politician is corrupt. I'm not. Sadly, I go, yeah, and that's how that works. That's business as usual. And I get into this um, conversation, argument, however you want to frame it, with my brother, one of my brothers. And we always go at it and he just looks at me. He's like, Richie, how could you accept that? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know anything else. Every politician I've ever known was a crook. And I mean, in, in relatively speaking, 
not the ones that I've known personally, but you, you tell me, you open up the New York Times, the New York Post, it doesn't matter what you open up. You're going to see political corruption. If they don't like Republicans, they're going to go after the Republicans. If they don't like Democrats, they're going to go after the Democrats. But you're always going to see it. There's always been somebody saying, these guys are crook, this one's stealing money, this one's doing that. And everybody tries to play the the saintly role in the middle, to be above that. Oh, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. This presumed integrity, this presumed righteousness. And and that's the, the cloth that so many are cut from. So their thinking is, you know, you can't even ask, hey, are you stealing money from the people? How dare you? I will smite you with my white glove across your face. I will not dignify you with a response. I'm above that. I'm a politician. And you think, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, my bad, yo, my bad. But the reality is, that's what they are. That's what it is. It's a cesspool. It's a cesspool of corruption. And I think too often, they do this thing. How dare you question my integrity? And they just keep going. And I think... I come from the opposite end where I'm like, I don't think any of them have integrity. So if you have some, start proving that you do. I kind of work backwards. You know, so like Trump, one of the reasons I like Trump, Trump, I think, separated himself here saying, you know what? I may be a charlatan, real estate developer, former playboy, got married to a model, and now I'm a politician. But I got nothing but respect for it. He's done it all the right way. Made his money somewhere else, did his thing, raised his kids, raised them well. I think they're all very, very respectful, decent people, smart, hardworking, more than most. And it says a lot about who these people are, Trump and his then wife who raised these people. I think you can always tell people, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is what they say. You look at Ivanka, you look at Eric, you look at Don Jr., uh, even Tiffany. I met Tiffany at a party. Very nice. Very, um, very, very polite, very down to earth. None of them ever acted like... Uh, like the girl whose dad was Hilton. What's her name? Paris Hilton. They they never acted like that in any interaction I've had with them. So I look at that and I think, hmm, you know, doing the right thing seems to be a thing he believes in. And again, this isn't uh, a diatribe or soliloquy about Trump per se. It's really one on me of being so jaded and, and thinking the worst of everyone in politics. And I think my brother's onto something when he's a relative newcomer to this, three years in the game, you know, he's a Trumper. He didn't care about politics until Trump. He voted for Obama because he thought it was his civic duty to elect America's first black president. And now he kicks himself in the butt for it because he thinks, man, I contributed to the demise of America. I contributed to the factionization, the balkanization, the splitting up of our citizenry. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. 